Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul declared, quote, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. The good news is that if you understand that you are a hopeless, helpless, and desperate sinner, you qualify for salvation because, quote, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus did not come into this world to save people who believe that they're holy or righteous or okay or fine on their own. He came into this world to save people who know that they are indeed sinners. Let's open our Bible now to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and learn what it means not only to be a sinner, but the, quote, worst of sinners. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It's a Wednesday afternoon here in Texas and man, I'm just, uh, I'm just excited. Just uh, excited just to be spending time in the Word of God. Still, uh, you know, we're in this book of 1 Timothy. And uh, man, it's just good, good, good stuff. It's just a, just a good afternoon to be studying the Word of God and, uh, and thinking about Jesus and thinking about how we, can, how we can grow to know Jesus more, grow to love Him more, grow to know His love for us more. And above all, grow to obey him and please him more and more. That ought to be the center of our lives. The center of our lives ought to be, meaning the focus ought to be a growing desire to please our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father, and the Holy Spirit, right? Remember, we have a triune God, one being, but three separate, distinct individual persons, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus, we have actual relationship with each member of the triune God. It's, it's, it's wonderful. So thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, Lord willing, we'll finish uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 today. The goal is to do verses 12 to 20. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. Father, we thank you for this book of 1 Timothy. Man, Father, we just thank you for the revelation in this book, the insights in this book, Father. We thank you for the Apostle Paul who wrote this book, and we thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring this book to be the living Word of God. Above all, Father, as always, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your Word. We ask you to give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to start reading in verse 12. On, uh, we're going to go to 20. Verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience 
as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these, and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Okay, wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, so before we get into 12, I wanted to just touch on 11, where uh, verse 11, where Paul, you know, was just giving a list of the things, you know, that of all the, the different levels of sin, the terrible sin that should convict us that we need a savior. Um, and, he, and, he, and he finishes up verse 10 by saying, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine, verse 11, that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. And so, you know, that phrase, which he entrusted to me is, is a big deal, okay? To be entrusted with the gospel is not a small thing. And, you know, God forbid, but, but the gospel has in the church today, you know, it's really become, you know, almost commonplace to us. And, and it really ought not to, right? To be entrusted with the gospel is not a small thing. Paul says that, that, that he was entrusted with the gospel, right? By God himself, right? God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. One God, again, three separate distinct individual persons, entrusted Paul with this incredible gospel of Jesus Christ. It's literally the most valuable thing in existence today is the gospel of Jesus Christ to you and to me, okay? Now, obviously, our triune God, right, is certainly, you know, the most valuable, but without the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have no access to God the Father or God the Son, Jesus, or God the Holy Spirit. It's only in the gospel that's been entrusted to Paul and entrusted to us as Christians, as believers, as ministers, that we have any access, any forgiveness of sin, any deliverance from the wrath of God the Father, any deliverance from eternal hell, any relationship with God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, and any access to heaven in the next life. It's only by the gospel. So to be entrusted with the gospel is again a massive is is a you know it's it's unspeakable how big a deal it really is and that's something we really want to get back to. Father, we do ask you to forgive us where we have uh where we have made the gospel Lord just commonplace. We thank you for the gospel, Father. We thank you for the good news that our God, God the Son, Jesus, became a human man. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for becoming a human man and living a perfect, righteous life on our behalf that we could never live. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying a torturous death on our behalf that we deserve to die. And we thank you that you're alive and risen today, and we worship you, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gospel for the good news that you, our Savior,
have paid the price for our sin and that we can receive you and inasmuch receive eternal life, the forgiveness of our sins, deliverance from eternal hell, and we can go to heaven when we die. And Lord, we get to have relationship with you now in relationship with you, Father, and with you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gospel. Mm. Wow. Verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now, again, notice that Paul thanks Jesus directly. Okay. Again, we ought to have a prayer life that encompasses praying to God, the father, God, the son, Jesus, and God, the Holy Spirit, certainly thanking God, the father, God, the son, Jesus, and God, the Holy Spirit worshiping God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. We don't pray or praise or worship human beings, okay, alive or dead, all right? Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. So it's Jesus directly that appoints Paul, and it's Jesus directly that appoints all ministers, okay? Um, it, it's clear here, okay? So Jesus appointed Paul to his service, um, you know, to ministry. Every Christian has been appointed to service or to ministry. You may not have a title, okay? Uh, it may not be your full-time job, but if you're a Christian today, okay, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you are genuinely trusting in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, then, then you have been appointed to his service, okay? To serve Jesus Christ in the advancement of the gospel and the advancement of the Son of God, the Word of God, and the kingdom of God, okay? Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength. He thanks Jesus for the strength to do the work that he's given you know, him to do. And, and again, so again, we, we have by example here to all of us, what the Christian life should look like. And that is a heart of consistent daily thanksgiving to Jesus for giving us strength to do the work that he's given us to do. And again, what's the work he's given us to do is to live our life, live our life, use our time, our gifts, our talents, you know, our skills, our abilities, the things we're good at or talented at, and to use our money in the advancement of his kingdom, in the advancement of his gospel, in the service of the kingdom of God, the son of God, and the word of God. That's the meaning of life, right? I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Faithfulness is, uh, is an attribute every single one of us want to be growing in. We want to be faithful in our service to Jesus Christ. Obviously, Paul was the most, most faith, faithful man that ever lived, okay? Um, he wrote half the New Testament, and he proved faithful in his service to Jesus. And every one of us, again, ought to have a desire and a heart to emulate Paul in our faithfulness to serving Jesus. Now, again, we're not called to write the Bible. Um, we're certainly not called to be apostles, right? Um, and most of us aren't called to be in full-time ministry as our work. But all of us are called to serve Jesus and his kingdom and his gospel um, in an increasingly faithful way. So thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, pointing me to his service. Verse 13, even though 
I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Paul here remembers his past life. Um, Paul's, Paul's testimony is one that ought to give every one of us in this world just an incredible encouragement that there is nothing that we could possibly do or have done in the way of disobedience and sin that can keep us from being forgiven of our sin and receiving eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, look what he says. Um, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, okay, Paul Paul was, was hunting down Christians, forcing them to blaspheme. Okay. He himself was a blasphemer, and when he would catch them, he would do all he could to force them to deny Jesus. This is before his conversion, before he received Christ as Savior in the book of Acts chapter 9, right? Even though I was once a blasphemer, again, he would utterly blaspheme against the name of Jesus. Okay, There's nothing you can do worse than this and have Christians put to death. In violence, he would have Christians caught force them to try to force them to deny Jesus, okay? And and often would, you know, would do what he could to see him put to death. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. What does he mean by this? There, there is a difference when, you know, when we're living in an absolute, um, you know, an, an absolute knowing sin. We know what the Bible teaches. We know the truth. And, you know, we're just going to live in just flat rebellion against the word of God, even, even though we know what's true. Okay. There's a difference between, you know, uh, you know, sins that we commit knowingly and sins we commit in ignorance, so to speak, meaning we don't know any better. Paul actually believed wholeheartedly that he was doing the will of of God when he was having Christians persecuted, forcing them to blaspheme, forcing them to deny Jesus, and having them put to death. He actually firmly believed in his conscience he was doing what God would have him to do. Never has someone been more wrong. Never was someone more sinful before their conversion than Paul. And interestingly enough, never has someone served Christ and loved Jesus and given their life in the service of Jesus more than this Apostle Paul after their conversion, right? I, uh, I had shared with the guys that uh, Charles Spurgeon had a, <laughs> had a wonderful quote um, that said, you know, that if you've gone a long way in the service to sin, then certainly you ought to go a long way in your service to usefulness for Christ, right? It's a uh, it's a profound statement. Every one of us has gone a long way down the road to sin. Therefore, every one of us ought to equally go a long way down the road of usefulness and our love and service to Jesus Christ our Lord, right? Verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love 
that are in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ today, you, the same could be said of you, that the grace of our Lord, now again, notice he's talking specifically about Jesus, okay? 2024 needs to be a year where the name of Jesus is on our lips more and more and more and more. Not the generic term God, right? But specifically the name Jesus, right? Use the terms the Bible gives us, right? Use, you know, my heavenly father, you know, my Lord, Jesus Christ, my Savior, Jesus, my King, Jesus, my Master, Jesus, right? God, the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is your guide, your counselor, and your comforter. The grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out, poured out on me abundantly. Grace is, is the unmerited favor of our Heavenly Father. Here, Paul's referencing the unmerited favor of Jesus that was given him and the unmerited favor given us by the Holy Spirit. Grace is God's unmerited favor toward us. We didn't earn it, right? It's a gift. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The closer we walk with Jesus, the more we'll experience this abundant grace, this abundant faith, and this abundant love, okay? And again, look at the words. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me, poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Again, you see the emphasis. It's all about Jesus, okay? There is, there is no meaning or no power in God or the word God without Christ, okay? Without Jesus, without Jesus Christ, without Christ Jesus, there's no meaning in God at all. There's no purpose in God. And, you know, there's no knowing God. There's no walking with God. So every one of us as believers, and especially as ministers, okay, uh, when we're speaking, we ought to, you know, if we use the word God 80 times, we ought to cut that down to 20 times and replace it with the name Jesus, Christ Jesus, Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All the power is in Jesus. All the meaning is in Jesus. Okay? Again, literally, there's no power or no meaning in the word God. But there's infinite power in the person and name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And only in Jesus do we have any knowledge or any relationship or any forgiveness in God, our Heavenly Father, in God, the Son, Jesus, and in God, the Holy Spirit? Verse 15 is a profound verse. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. There's so much to be said about this verse. Um, first of all, just just. Take the verse on its face. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Jesus, God the Son, the Son of God, Almighty God, actually entered into the world and added humanity to his deity. He's fully God. When he comes into the world, he adds humanity to his deity. He doesn't lessen his deity because then he wouldn't be God anymore, right? So he's now fully God, fully man. He adds humanity to his deity, right? 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, okay? Here is a trustworthy saying. This, this statement, trustworthy saying, I believe it's used five times total in the pastoral letters, right? Um, you know, which are First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, right? Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. So it, here's the good news, okay? When you realize that you're a sinner, when you recognize that you're a sinner, that you, you are a hopeless, desperate, helpless sinner, now you qualify to be saved, right? Because it says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus didn't come into the world to save those who don't think they're sinners. He didn't come into the world to save the righteous. He didn't come into the world to save those who are okay. He came into the world to save sinners. Let that sink in. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So if you can look at yourself today and understand that you are surely a hopeless, helpless, desperate sinner. You have throughout your lifetime lived in a way on and off where you have fallen short of the standard of the word of God and the son of God, right? You have failed in thinking sinful thoughts, having sinful desires. Uh, you have failed in speaking sinful words and you've done sinful actions, okay? That's what makes you and I a sinner is we have sinned, all of us, and our thought, word, and deed. Now, some people absurdly do not believe they're sinners. God has given his word in Romans 3.23 that every human being is sinful and has fallen short of God's standard and is in desperate need of a savior. So again, here's the good news. If you would look at your life and say, man, you know, I am a, I am a sinful person. I have done wrong. I have lived life selfishly. I have wanted my own way. Um, and I live my whole life this way, well, the good news, you qualify for salvation. Because until you understand that you're a sinner, you cannot be saved. You cannot be forgiven of your sin if you don't realize that you actually have sin in your life. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But look what he says after that. Of whom I am the worst. Now, this is an interesting statement. He says present tense of whom I am the worst. Certainly we can understand that he was the worst, right? Again, we already talked about the things that he did. Um, again, really anyone listening to this has not murdered Christians, has not had them put to death, um, has not just consistently their whole life blasphemed the name of Jesus and captured other Christians and force them to deny Jesus. Probably none of you have done anything that bad, right? So we would understand if he said of whom I was the worst, but he actually says he came into the world, Christ Jesus, to save sinners of whom I am the worst. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a profound statement because, you know, Paul understands no one has more revelation in the world than this man. The Apostle Paul has more revelation and more understanding of who God is, right, in Jesus Christ, who God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is. He has written half the New Testament, so he has greater understanding of who Jesus is, greater revelation, and yet he can still see sinful tendencies in himself, sinful tendencies. He can still see uh, uh, selfish desires in himself. He can still see 
tendencies of sin that pull on him that have to be resisted, right? And because he has such an incredible revelation of who Jesus is, the more deeply we walk with Jesus, the more obediently we walk with Jesus, the more we love him, the more we try to please Jesus, it's amazing because it's the more we serve Christ, the more we love him, the more devoted we are to him, the more we realize how much we really do fall short of him. It's in serving Jesus and loving him and obeying him that we really increasingly grow to more and more see how badly we need him as a savior and, and really how much we are lacking in being like him. One of the great marks of spiritual maturity in a man or woman of God they don't walk in shame. They don't walk in condemnation. They don't walk with guilt, but they do have conviction over their sin. And they, they have a, a deeper recognition of the sinfulness, the selfishness, and the inwardness of their own heart. They have a, you know, they have a, a greater awareness of the propensity of their mind and heart to, to be turned toward, you know, selfish, you know, um, preference, right? I've said it before. I'm a man of preference. I like what I like, right? All right. Of whom I am the worst, okay? Paul Paul is not looking at anyone else. He believes himself the worst of sinners. And one of the reasons is because he's not paying attention to everyone else's sin, okay? Another issue that we have in the church today is we're more worried about what everyone else is doing wrong. And, and, and we don't really, you know, take a good account of what's out of place in our own lives, in our own mind, and in our own hearts, right? Verse 16, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Paul is saying, you know what? You can look at my life. You can look at my life before I came to Jesus Christ and the, the, the greatest sins that, that someone could commit. But Jesus was using Paul as an example, right? He says it. But for that very reason that, you know, he was the worst of sinners, right? And again, he can still see in his mind areas of sin. That's why he would say, I am. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. So again, wherever you are today, whatever sin you've committed, okay, you could see the unlimited patience and love of Jesus that no matter what you've done, you can come to him today and receive eternal life, simply humbling yourself before Jesus, acknowledging yourself as a sinner with the excitement that Jesus came into this world to save sinners, acknowledge your hopeless, helpless desperation, acknowledge that your sin has earned you a place in hell for all eternity. And simply let Jesus know that you do believe he is the son of God. You do believe he came into this world and lived a perfect righteous life for you. That he died a torturous death on the cross for you. And you believe he is alive and risen. And just ask him to come into your heart. To be the Lord of your life. To save you from your sin. To bring you to heaven when you die. Placing your full faith, confidence and trust in Jesus alone. And you will be saved. You will be delivered from your sin delivered from eternal hell. You'll come into relationship with the triune God and you will go to heaven when you die. Mm. 
verse 17. Now to the King Eternal, it's like Paul just bursts into spontaneous praise right here, right? Now to the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen, right? That's something we ought to be doing more and more. Just as we read the word of God, just, just having spontaneous praise and thanksgiving and worship. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. And that ought to be the desire of our lives is to bring more and more honor to our heavenly Father, to Jesus Christ our Lord, and to the Holy Spirit and all that we say and all that we do. Paul finishes the chapter here, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that so that by following them you may fight the good fight, verse 19, holding on to faith and a good conscience. And I'll stop there for now. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. So there was a time in Timothy's life, um, you know, the book tells us, the book of Acts teaches us, and then in 2 Timothy that, uh, you know, Timothy had a Greek father and a Jewish mother. And from the time he was a boy, his mother taught him the scriptures, right? His grandmother taught him the scriptures from the time he was a young boy, right? Um, and there were prophecies made about him. There were things said about him that he would go on to serve Jesus Christ in his kingdom. He would go on to serve God, obviously in the person of Jesus Christ and the advancement of the kingdom of God, the son of God and the word of God. So Paul tells him, Timothy, my son, again, he calls him his son here. I give you this instruction, meaning spiritual son. I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. Meaning again, it had been said that Timothy would, would, you know, would, would walk in this way. He would serve the kingdom of God as a servant and as a minister in this way keeping with the prophecies once made about you. And he gives the reason so that by following them, you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Okay. It's imperative that we hold on to genuine faith in Christ and a good conscience. Okay. A good conscience, meaning that in all good conscience, we know that we are hopeless sinners and that only in Jesus Christ can we be delivered from our sin, delivered from hell, literally delivered delivered from the wrath of God and go to heaven when we die, okay? Holding on to faith and a good conscience. Every one of us want to be earnestly holding on to faith and a good conscience, and you do that by spending time in the Word of God, by spending time in prayer, by spending time in fellowship and community, praise, thanksgiving, worship, right? Determining to hold on to, to faith in Christ and a good conscience re regarding Jesus, and of course, a good conscience in everything, right? The more a good conscience we have, the better off we'll be. And Paul says, some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Again, so again, to reject genuine faith in Christ alone and, you know, to reject a good conscience toward Christ, okay, is to, is to, is to destroy your faith. Verse 20, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, to be taught not to blaspheme. So now Paul, re you know, references two men here. What does this mean? Whom I have, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. What that simply means is that that Paul would not to hand them over to Satan. Simply means that they had no access to him anymore. Paul would not be around them. Um, they could not be in Paul's presence, and that 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 Paul would command that they be dismissed from the church. Okay. Now again. 
these aren't people who were just living in sin or struggling with sin. These were people, again, who had not only denied the faith, okay, but were, but were leading others astray away from, you know, pure faith in Jesus Christ, okay? Again, to be handed over to Satan is to be just, just kicked out of the church, that you're not allowed to be around the believers. Remember, at this time, there would have only been one church, right? Not like one on every block like we have. But again, to be handed over to Satan would have meant that Paul would not have given them access to him anymore. They could not be around Paul. Um, and they would have been, you know, removed from the church. And Paul would have taken his blessing off of them, which is a big deal, okay? Because when someone is handed over to Satan, they're basically tossed back to the world, where Satan is the God, little g, God of the world. Um, and, you know, and, and it's always going to go really bad for us, right? Um, to go back into the world, to go back under Satan, who's the God of this world, will always turn out really, really bad for us, right? So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. We thank you for this book of 1 Timothy. Father, we thank you that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, Father. And Father, there's a certain aspect where every one of us is the worst of sinners. Certainly I am. But we thank you, Jesus, that you came to save sinners and gave your life for us. Lord Jesus, we worship you and thank you today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.